before the next story, we're going to do a bunch of shout-outs. If I say your name wrong, I apologize. Don't laugh at me. Here we go. Elena Karowitz, Sarah Karowitz, Mayor Karowitz, Miri Karowitz, Avram Zeb Karowitz, Elisheva Karowitz, Levi Karowitz, Avram from Baltimore, Chevy Shochat, Esti Sunshine from Eric Israel, Rosenblum Family, Rabbi Hess's class, third grade Lakewood, Rabbi Schubert's fifth grade class in Lakewood, Ephraim Rosen, who flew actually on Air Portugal. Uh-huh. And the answer to your question is, everyone went bowling that Sunday. Shmuli Arbach, great message. Thanks so much. Malki, Mordechai Kurlander, Miri Kutov, Chava Maistel from Chicago, Racheli Friedman, David, Chayakan, Rus, Ephraim, Yehuda Karp from Waterbury, Yosef Ferrari, who wants another interview, Michal Kaufman, Miriam Kutov, Chava Maistel, Kanok Kenzer, Shana Newman, Esti Sprung, and they want me to call back, but it's very hard for me to call back. Baruch Hashem, I get a lot of messages. Beryl Farber from Minneapolis. Ezra Kravitz, somebody from Eretz Yisrael. Devorah Becker. And his question was about a case of gum. Answer is, he borrowed a pair of pants. Menachem Shwed, Miriam Isa, Tirza Rapport, Chaya Sarah Kohn, who is 12 years old. Rifka Gittel Schwartz. Devorah Schwartz, Yisrael Shalom Wolf from Yerushalayim, Irakoidesh. A interview with Yossi and Mayor Spring from Spring Valley. Enjoy the story. Sunday was a very special day. Sammy had decided that this was going to be called Chesed Day. And Sammy spent his day after Shachras from about 10 o'clock in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon running to do Chesed. Whether it was holding the door for the old lady as she tried to get out of her car, whether it was carrying the bag for the old man across the street, whether it was babysitting for a baby he didn't even know when the mother had to run out to take another child to the emergency room. Sammy was full of chesed. His chesed included giving tzedakah to one of the poor people who was walking by. His chesed included saying nice words to a young child who was crying because their shoe fell off. And chesed included, of course, being super kind and super nice and visiting someone who was ill. Well, by the time Sammy got home from such a busy day, Sammy was exhausted. He walked into his house and he said in a tired voice, I'm home. And his mother called from the kitchen. Great! Could you come here for a minute, please, Sammy? And Sammy walked into the kitchen and his mother said, Sammy, I need you to do a chesed. You know that next door there's a mother and they're two little babies. Unfortunately, the mother is not feeling well. And somebody has to help with the two little babies. And she called me and asked me if I had any ideas for who could help. And I knew that today you were devoting to chesed. So I said that sure, you could help. Sammy looked at his mother and he said, Ma, yes, Sammy, look at my eyes. Yes, very nice. Don't they look tired? Well, that maybe has to do with the fact that you went to bed last night a little bit late. 12.30 is not really the time a boy your age should be going to bed on Mosei Shabbos. And Ma, do you see my muscles? Chaim walked in just at that moment. Your muscles, Sammy? <laughs> your muscles? <laughs> muscles? Chaim, what do you need? Well, I just want to know if supper was ready. Not yet. Anyway, I see your muscles. What about them? Do you see how much they hurt and ache from all the things I've been doing today? Do you know how many loads of apples I helped the grocer put on his apple cart? Uh, no, I don't. A lot. 
And do you see my feet? I, I, I see your shoes. Oh, let me take off my shoes a second. No, please don't, please don't, please don't. Oh, what, what, my feet are so tired. But Sammy, I told the lady she, they were going to help her. I told her you are going to help her. Sammy says, but, but I really don't want to. And his mother said, Sammy, you don't have a choice. Go help. Sammy walked out of the kitchen like any boy who walks out of the kitchen when their mother tells him they have to do something that they really don't want to do. He dragged his feet. He mumbled under his breath. <laughs> and he cast ugly, dark looks at Chaim. Stop staring at me, he said to Chaim as he walked to the front door. Chaim said, somebody's mad. And Sammy walked out the door. He dragged his feet to the neighbor's house. He knocked on the door like very softly. Oh, well, he didn't answer, so I don't have to cuss it. Of course, he didn't turn around because he knew when he went home, his mother would say, oh, I'll call them first. So he knocked again, rang the doorbell this time, and a lady came to the door. And she was clearly not feeling well. Her face was white, and she was trembling a little bit, probably from some fever. And she said, oh, thank you so much for coming, Sammy. Mm-hmm, Sammy said. And Sammy went in. Now, besides for the fact that Sammy maybe was a little tired of chesed, Sammy also, he, he didn't really want to go and babysit two three-year-olds. I mean, twin three-year-olds are pretty big of a handful. And that's what these kids were. And Sammy had to spend the time. He wasn't able to just sit down and read a book. He wasn't able to just sit down and play a game. He wasn't able to do any of that. He had to spend his time running around the ki- after the kids, making sure they didn't get a ch- Come down from that closet. No, you're not allowed to climb on that shelf. Hey, no, that's dangerous. You can't touch that. One after the other. What do you want to eat? Mm. And the kid said, what do you want to eat? He made it. I don't want it, the kid said. And he had to make a different thing. Uh, it was well, for five hours until 9.30. Sammy was busy with the family. Finally at 9.30, the Tati and the family, and that other family came home, and he told Sammy, thank you so much for your chesed. I really, really appreciate it. And Sammy went home. He walked into the door. Ouch. I mean, he walked into the house, and he said to his mother, Ma, it's not fair. His mother said, Sammy, right now, it's late. You're tired. Go to bed. We'll talk about it in the morning. And Sammy did go to bed. He had supper at the other house, by the way. The next morning, of course, before school, your mother doesn't really have much time to schmooze with you. And so Sammy had to go to school in his little bit of still bad mood. And he went to school and he's grumbling and he sits down in his chair and his Rebbe looks over to him and his Rebbe sees Sammy sitting there and he's grumbling. And his Rebbe says, Sammy, why are you grumbling? And Sammy says, what's the matter, Sammy? I don't understand. And then the bell rang. The Rebbe couldn't talk to Sammy. Everyone came in, everyone was sitting down. And the Rebbe began to teach, and he began to talk about halacha, and he began to talk about different things. And the Rebbe noticed that the whole time, his favorite student, Abramel, no, I'm kidding, his favorite student, Sammy, had his head down on the desk. The Rebbe said, it's not going to work. Sammy, can I please speak to you outside? Sammy stood up and walked out the door. The Rebbe followed and said, Talmidim, please do your worksheets on the Gemara, and when I come back in, we're going to check them together. And Sammy and the Rebbe talked outside the room. 
Sammy, what's the matter? What happened? You know, yesterday I was a big tzaddik. And that made you sad? No, it didn't make me sad to be a big tzaddik. I did a lot of chesed. Really? Yeah, I helped all different people. That was my chesed day. Oh, I wish I knew. I had a lot of things that I needed to take down from my attic. I wish I knew that it was your chesed day. I would have called you. Well, anyway, when I finished all my chesed, I was tired. I see. And I got home. Yeah. And my mother said, yeah, what did your mother say? She said that I, I had to do more chesed. Oh, why? You hadn't done enough? She said that there was a chesed that needed to be done, and she made me do it. I didn't want to do it, and I was really mad, and, and I'm still mad about it, because I didn't want to do that chesed. Because I had done so much chesed already. I did my mitzvah of chesed for the day. I was done. I was finished. Sammy, please don't yell. Sorry, Rebbe. So you're saying you didn't want to do that one extra chesed because you already done so much chesed that whole day? Basically. Basically, that's what it was. Ah, I see. You know something? Ah. Come into the class. Take a seat. And I'll answer, I'll, I'll talk to you about it in front of the whole class. Really? That's embarrassing! No, no. You'll see. You'll see. It's not going to be embarrassing. Sammy came in. He sat down. And the Rebbe came into the room. And the Rebbe said, Tell me them. <clears throat> Those of you who are writing your answers to the worksheets, put your pens down. Those of you who are reading books under your desk, put your books away. I want to tell you a Misa that Rebaruch Ber, a great Tamil Chacham, told Harav Shach, who was a great Tamil Chacham, who lived in Eretz Yisrael in Panovich, about another Tamil Chacham, who wrote a sefer called Nachlas David. I want to tell you a story. The Nachlas David was a rav in a city. And he was poor. Yes, Avramo. Rabbi, how poor was he? Well, did he have uh, shoes and socks? He might have. So he wasn't so poor. Maybe his shoes had holes in them. Okay. He was very poor. He was so poor that even on Shabbos, he barely had food for his table. That's very poor. And he didn't want to ask people for money. You know why? Yes, you can see Oh, because... Um, because he didn't like money? No, I, I'm sure he wanted money. Yeah, I like money too. I, I'm sure you do. Um, he didn't ask people for money. You know why? Yeah, yeah, yes, Avramo. Pro- probably because um, he wasn't such a good rub. Chas is a fantastic rub. I'll tell you why. Because everyone in the city was poor. It was not a rich city. Everyone was poor. So if you're a poor man and you go to ask poor people for money, then they become more poor. Is that fair? Is that nice? <sighs> he couldn't do that. So he didn't ask for money. One day, two merchants came to him. We're going to name them Beryl and Shmeryl. Yes, Nelson? Rabbi, uh, how come all people are named either Beryl or Shmeryl? Or Pliny and Almini? Okay, because they're easy names. Beryl and Shmeryl, they go together. All right, so let's talk about Beryl and Shmeryl. Beryl and Shmeryl came to the Nachos David with a Shiloh. They were having a Machloikis about money. And Beryl said, Shmeryl's my partner and he owes me some money. And Shmeryl said, no, Beryl's my partner, but I don't owe him money. And Beryl said, I'm not going to be your partner much longer unless you pay me the money. And Shmeryl said, well, I'm not going to be your partner much longer unless you stop asking me for the money. And they came to the Nachos David with these arguments, trying back and forth, trying back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and arguing, and arguing. And the Nachos David heard each side. 
and he passed in the shower. And Beryl said, oh, I guess we can do that. We can put the money in an investment and make it grow, and then we can split the money. That's a good idea. Shmerel said, yeah, that's a good idea. Thank you. And as they were leaving, the Nachos said, um, could you wait one second? You know, you come from a different town, right, far away, to ask me to help you with this case. I normally don't ask people for any tzedakah. But I'm about to marry off my daughter. I have a daughter who's getting married and I don't have a penny to pay for a chasana. Could you please, your two merchants, your very successful merchants, can you please give me some money for the chasana? <clears throat> Beryl said, well, um, you know, in, we're in the town we come from. I, I give a lot of tzedakah to the uh, Rav, and he distributes it. Uh, I give like, uh, like a, fifth of my, a fifth of my profit to tzedakah, chaymish. Shmuel said, I, I also, I, I distribute a lot of tzedakah in my city, and um, yeah, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm good with the mitzvah tzedakah right now. And then Akhazav looked at them and said, so you're saying you already gave so much tzedakah so you're done with giving tzedakah. You don't have to give any more tzedakah to anybody else because you did and do in your own city tzedakah. Is that what you're saying? And they both shrugged their shoulders and sheepishly looked at each other and at the Nachlas David and they said, uh, I, 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 I guess. And the Nachlas David said, mm, I see. Yes, Sammy. Rabbi, what did he see? <laughs> I see sometimes means I understand. I thought that's right here. It is. So Nachlas David began. He said, a number of years ago, there was a family that was very wealthy. The head of the family, the father of the family, was a very successful businessman. And when he died, he left behind lots and lots of money. But besides for money, he also left behind a pair of tefillin. Yes, you could see doesn't, doesn't everyone, when they die, uh, leave behind uh, a pair of tefillin? Avramo called out. Not ladies. Uh, Avramo, I'll take care of it. Uh, the answer is yes, but let me describe the tefillin. He left behind a pair of tefillin that were written by a cipher mufla, an incredible cipher, whose handwriting looked like it was written by a computer. They didn't have computers. I see your hand, Sammy. They didn't have computers. But it looked like it was written by a computer. It was written the most clear ksav. And these tefillin were written by a person who was a mekubal, which means that when he wrote the tefillin, he had in his mind all the special thoughts that a person is supposed to have when they are writing tefillin. He had special kavana by the shemos of Hashem. These tefillin were of the utmost kedusha, and they were tremendously valuable. And the family was discussing how to divide the property that their father left behind. The brothers were discussing specifically the tefillin. Who should get the tefillin? And one brother said to the other, you know what? You can take all the money and I will take the tefillin. And the conversation went back and forth and back and forth and the matter was not quite resolved. During this time, the youngest boy in the family was entering bar mitzvah he was already 12 and a half, and this boy needed a pair of tefillin. 
and the brothers were talking to each other. Where should we buy the tefillin? How should we get the tefillin? When one of the brothers had this fantastic idea. He said, you know, it takes time to get good tefillin. Let's arrange to have a great cipher write a good, beautiful pair of tefillin. And the batemacher, a person who makes the housing of the tefillin, be an expert houser. I know a houser. An, an expert tefillin maker, houser, whatever it's called. And, and, and meanwhile, we'll let our youngest brother, when he becomes bar mitzvah, we're taught these tefillin. These tefillin that are so choshev and so special. Let him wear these tefillin. And that's what they did. And days turned into weeks. And weeks turned into months. And months turned into years. And the brothers never bought him another pair of tefillin. And the boy never bought himself another pair of tefillin. And he wore these tefillin. These Kaddish, Kabbalistic, holy, beautifully written tefillin. Every day of his life. Now this guy, this brother, he was a merchant. Which means he traveled from town to town to do business. That means that he had to stay overnight in some different towns. He stayed in hotels. He stayed sometimes in people's houses. Whatever he needed to do. But one thing he made sure he always had with him was his tefillin. The chosh of a tefillin. And every morning that he davened with tefillin, he put these tefillin on. Yes, Beryl. Rebbe, Rebbe said that every morning he davened with his tefillin, he put these tefillin on. Does that mean sometimes he davened without his tefillin? Yes, it does. But Rebbe, I thought you have to daven with tefillin every day. Not on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Oh. But that doesn't... Right. So he didn't wear tefillin. Anyway, every day he wore his tefillin... Every day that he could, he wore his tefillin, the special tefillin. One day, he was by a special town where he was going to make lots of money. And he's staying in the hotel. He realized he had an opportunity for business in a little private house far, far out of town. And he walked to that place. And he was negotiating the business for many hours. Now, they were sitting in a room without windows during their negotiation. And when the negotiation was over, this merchant stood up. He went to the front door and opened the door. And whoa! There was three feet of snow on the ground. And the snow was falling heavily. It was called whiteout conditions. Whiteout conditions mean... That it's so white from the snow, you can't see in front of you. It's like walking through a big fog. And the man, this merchant, couldn't go back to the hotel. He asked the place he was, could I stay for the night? They said, sure. And he stayed there overnight. But the next morning when they opened the door, there was a lot of snow, five feet of snow on the ground. Yes, Nassim. Rebbe, did Rebbe measure it? How does Rebbe know it's five feet? Uh, actually, you're right. I made up the number five feet. The point was there was a lot of snow on the ground. Yes, Eliezer. You know, Rebbe, one time it snowed and, and it was five feet of snow and I, I tried to open my front door and all the snow fell into the house. Eliezer. Uh, uh, you know, let's go on. I don't want to... Uh, 
That's such a lie. Such a lie. Abraham, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Let's go. He realized he wasn't going to be able to make it home for Shachris. So he dug a path through the snow to the shul. He came to the shul for Shachris. Baruch Hashem, there were another 12 people there. And he stood there looking around what to do. And he saw the Gabbai come over to him. And the Gabbai said, do you need a pair of tefillin? And he said, sure. The Gabbai went to the little cabinet where they kept the spear pair of tefillin. He took out this pair of tefillin that was old, that was small, that the paint was coming off, but it was still kosher. Clearly this tefillin cost the person who bought them little money. And probably inside, what was written, hopefully was kosher. But for sure, was not at all muhudar. And boy, oh boy, this man felt bad. Every day he put on the most beautiful tefillin possible. He put on tefillin with Kabbalistic Kavanas. He put on tefillin that the writer, that Seifer, he put on tefillin that the Seifer wrote with such Kavana, and now he's putting on these tefillin. They're kosher, but they're, they're like, it's like getting a $10 esrig instead of a $1,000 esrig. What's the merchant going to do? After davening was over, he started to make his way back home to his hotel. He arrived at his hotel. It was after Shkia. And he missed that day with his fancy dancy tefillin. And he regretted it. And every day from then on, whenever he traveled anywhere, even if he traveled in the same city a short distance, he took his Choshevitz tefillin in his pocket or in his briefcase. Because he didn't want ever again to lose out on the opportunity to wear these special Choshev tefillin. As time went on, the merchant got older. And as he got older, he traveled less. And then as he traveled less, he traveled even less. Then he retired. His family was well off. His kids started to do the work. And they started to support him. And eventually, when he was 97 and a half years old, he died. And when his neshama came up to Shemayim and stood before the basin Shemayla, he was in for a surprise. This neshama, this Russia, no way, he can't go to Ghana. He can't even go to Ghana. He's, he's gone. He's finished. We don't want to talk to him at all. What? When you were on earth, did you ever learn Gemara? Didn't you read in the Gemara that karkafta deleimanach tefillin that a person who doesn't wear tefillin doesn't get olam haba doesn't get to enjoy the world to come? You never wore tefillin. The man's eyes. I mean, if he had eyes, the neshama's well would be eyes. Why they widen with shock? What? I never wore tefillin. I, but I wore the most chashuv, the most kabbalistic, the most holy, the most perfect pair of tefillin in the entire world, which I got from my father as a Yerusha. And the basin Shemila said, "Sorry to tell you, those tefillin were puzzle. There was a letter in those tefillin 
that over time faded away. And you're feeling that you wore every day of your life since your bar mitzvah. Sorry, Charlie. You lost out. Actually, they probably didn't say sorry, Charlie. They probably said like, sorry, Neshama. Because <laughs> probably in Shemaim they don't talk in Gaisha names. Probably, I don't know. Anyway, you lost out. All of a sudden, a malach came rushing over. Wait! Wait, one second! One second! I have, I have, I have, I have one Misa to share. He did wear tefillin once. He did. Yeah, one time he was stranded in the snow and he went to the shoal and there was an old, decrepit pair of tefillin that looked like they were on their last legs. It looked like they were maybe not even kosher and he put them on and those tefillin were kosher. So he did wear tefillin once in his life and that's enough to save him and help him get to Elam Haba. The Nachlas David said, this is a true story. Rabbi, how did anybody know? It's a good question. I'll tell you. Because somebody came to somebody else in a dream and told like many stories. Like the Megala Mukas. Anyway, this story shows us that you could try to do a mitzvah your entire life thinking you're doing a great job. And maybe you messed up. Maybe you did the right mitzvah, you tried it, but maybe something is making it not work. Maybe the one time you have the opportunity to do a mitzvah that happens to be, uh, blah, blah, blah. yes, Sammy. Rabbi, I, I don't know what abba abba means. It, it means, it doesn't seem so gishmak and so good and so kosher. And that's the mitzvah. That's your ticket to Eilam Haba. All the kids sat quietly in their seats. Unusual for this class. And the Rebbe said, You got my message. And Sammy said, Rebbe, is Rebbe talking to me? (laughs) Sammy. You do something all day, chesed all day, and you do it, and you love it, and you're enthusiastic about it. That's great. But you never know. That mitzvah you did, that last chesed you did, that was hard to do. That was something you weren't so excited to do. But you did it anyway. You never know that chesed, what that reward for that chesed is, how great that reward of that one mitzvah might be compared to all the other chesed you did that day. Don't turn away from a single mitzvah, from a single opportunity. Okay. Rabbi Sai, Rabbi said. Now let's go learn some Gemara. Yes, Ephraim? Rabbi? Yes. You know, Rabbi said that sometimes mitzvahs, even the difficult mitzvahs, uh, 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 sometimes a person a person does them and that might be the best. Yeah, that's true. So, Rabbi, you know, it's very difficult. We want, we want to learn Torah now. We want to learn Torah now. But, but we know that, that in order to learn Torah properly, you have to have a little bit of a break. You have to a little free time. Yeah. So, Rabbi, Rabbi with mysterious nefesh, great self-sacrifice from us and from Rabbi, is it possible we can have, like, maybe, maybe a 15-minute recess right now just so that we can get ready to learn Taira with, with, with a brand, with energy? I'm not sure I follow your logic exactly, Avramu, but one thing I know for sure. Yes, Rabbi, we're not having recess now. 